Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. The CHL Top Prospect Game is back. A shocking coaching change in the Western Hockey League. An absolute chaos in the USHL with the Omaha Lancers. Lots to get to. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming, and it is a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you once again as we uh, set up this weekend's events across the world of prospect hockey. If you're a first-time listener to the program, then welcome aboard the Pipeline Show, and I certainly hope that you'll be back for more. And if you're a returning listener... Then welcome back, of course. And if you are one of the many who have signed up to be a patron here in the last a couple of months, then uh, certainly welcome back for you and a very big thank you, a sincere thank you uh, for your extra support. A couple of bucks a month to be a patron and you get early access and you have the ability to uh, submit questions for the guests because you usually get a heads up on what the guest uh, list will look like uh, each week here on the program. And a lot of people have been signing up here lately, which is Fantastic. Let's get right to the uh, news and notes, and maybe we'll start in the USHL. That's the big breaking story here as uh, the weekend approaches. The Omaha Lancers sounds like there is uh, absolute turmoil and chaos around that franchise as they parted ways with uh, their head coach. It's actually their GM and head coach, uh, Chad Cassidy. Uh, They have since replaced him with uh, Gary Graham, who was uh, coaching at the U18 level in Indiana. But it seems like that uh, that franchise has just been cutting, cutting, cutting in their expenses to the point where, as uh, Ryan Kennedy reported here in the Hockey News, players not having road meals paid for, players were allegedly forced to pay for their own hockey sticks and tape, which is, not only is that not uh, up to standards in the USHL, but obviously, that I mean, that's just Bush. At this level, Brad Schlossman also reporting that uh, in response to this, other coaches and personnel in the organization have uh, decided to resign. So this story just seems to be starting uh, as we find out what's uh, going to be happening more. Uh, I would suggest you follow Ryan Kennedy and uh, Brad Schlossman on social media. The league has put out a press release that says, we are aware of the reports about the Omaha Lancers and are actively working to resolve this matter. We have standards that we take seriously in order to provide the best possible experience for all players who participate in the USHL. Short and sweet, that's it. Uh, but obviously something they're not uh, taking lightly and something uh, I, I, I don't have a guest to address this this week as it's really just breaking here. 
But I will, if the story hasn't cleared up by next week, maybe we'll get somebody on, maybe Ryan Kennedy, uh, to come on and uh, talk about that uh, next week. So that's what's happening in the USHL right now. Before I go any further with the news and notes, as the rest of the news is all positive, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky in Alberta. And if you live in the local area, well, you can go to Leduc or Spruce Grove and pick up uh, as much as you want there. Uh, and if you live in Western Canada, you can contact the uh, the folks in Leduc and they will ship it to you. Vacuum sealed, fresh when you get it. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. That's WilhockBeefJerky.com. It is fantastic. The Kitchener Rangers will host the 2022 Kubota CHL-NHL Top Prospect Game. That will go on February 2nd. Uh, it seems like it's been a long time since we had a uh, top prospect game to look forward to. So that will be happening uh, this season. Again, very early February. The CHL Top 10 uh, came out this week. Another good showing by the Western Hockey League. The Winnipeg Ice, number one, followed by the Everett Silvertips. The London Knights are three. Kamloops, Edmonton are four and five. So again, four WHL teams in the top five. Then it's a run for the Q. Sherbrooke and Charlottetown. The Ottawa 67s come in at number eight. Ramuski is 9, and the Kingston Frontenacs are number 10. Automal mentions getting out to Seattle, Quebec, and the Sioux Greyhounds. Now, big news uh, as well late in the week here in the WHL, as the Regina Pats have made a change. Uh, as John Paddock has fired Dave Strooch and uh, is moving back behind the bench. I think this is something that uh, a lot of people were not expecting. We just had Rod Peterson on uh, from the Rod Peterson show last week. Spoke very highly of the, the work that Dave Strooch is doing or was doing, as he is out. You look at the standings, and the Pats were, are, well, I think a lot of people kind of expected this to be where the Pats are. Right now, they're in ninth, so if the playoffs started today, they wouldn't be in. But they're only one point back of both Prince Albert and Swift Current, and I would suggest PA, Swift Current, Lethbridge, and Medicine Hat, without Cole Sillinger, they're all kind of fighting for those last two or three playoff spots. So does a coaching change like this, is it basically a wake-up call uh, for the Regina Pats to try to kick them and get them going? We'll see. I still think, uh, for me, that's a, a team that needs to add if they're hoping to get into the playoffs and uh, and do anything once they get there, if they get there, uh, in order to get some experience to build on for next season. And I don't know what they have for assets to uh, make those sorts of deals. So tough situation for the Regina Pats. We'll see what John Paddock uh, and that change does for that club for the rest of the way this season. Top scorer in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is uh, currently Xavier Simino from the Charlottetown Islanders. Xavier Borgo is right behind him, though. He has 30 points, and so does Joshua Roy from the Sherbrooke Phoenix. So uh, a tight race in terms of the uh, scoring lead there. William Dufour, don't forget him, 29 points for the St. John Sea Dogs. The order has changed a little in the OHL, but the same five guys who have been leading the way the last few weeks, Sasha Pastajov from the Guelph Storm has 27 points, followed by Brandon Coe of North Bay. Then the pair of Sioux Greyhounds, Rory Karens and uh, Ty Cardi with uh, 25 and 24 points. Tucker Robertson of the Peets from Peterborough has 24. I don't know if I mentioned the actual uh, leading scores in the WHL, so let me jump back to the WHL for a second. The Winnipeg Ice uh, have the top two scores, a tie between uh, Mikey Milne and uh, Matthew Savoy with 29 points. Tristan Robbins is next with 28, and Connor McLennan has 25, followed by a couple of Kamloops Blazers and Josh Piller and Logan Stankoven 
Notable that uh, this week there was an announcement. I don't know if actually they made a big announcement. We were notified anyway about the whole rookie situation in the WHL. Who is, who isn't a rookie? Remember, a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that we were told, Andrew Peart and I, uh, that uh, rookies had to play, have played fewer than 20 games, and which eliminated all those 15 year olds that played 20, 25 games last year. Uh, as well as a guy like Matthew Savoy, who played 22 games a couple of years ago, then went to the USHL and played 34 or something there. Uh, well, we've been told now that the competition committee for the WHL has agreed to uh, push that to 25 games. So all of those guys are now eligible again, as nobody played 25 games last year. And Savoy played 22 the year before. The one stipulation is you can't have won the WHL's Rookie of the Year in the past, which takes out Connor Bedard, who won it last year. So everything has been put back into place now for the WHL when it comes to the rookies. I understand why they did that. They had a lot of young talent getting a taste of the WHL last year, which is a really good thing. Uh, And uh, so those guys are still eligible to win the Rookie of the Year this season. So you're leading rookies officially now. Again, Matthew Savoy, obviously, as the leading scorer in the league with 29 points. Then you've got Zach Benson in Winnipeg with uh, 20 points. Braden Yeager from the Moose Jaw Warriors with 17. Jakob Demick here in Edmonton with 17. Ryland Roarsma with the Brandon Weekings has 14. But it's really Matthew Savoy's race to lose at this point. We did the USHL already. We're going to move quickly and uh, get to the uh, show this week. A top 20 poll, though, in NCAA hockey. Michigan now the number one ranked team with 42 first place votes. Uh, St. Cloud and Minnesota State are two and three. Both received four first place votes, but uh, based on... The rest of the voting, uh, St. Cloud, the number two team. Minnesota State is three. Minnesota Duluth is four. Three consecutive shutouts uh, for goaltender Ryan Fanti with the Bulldogs. Quinnipiac, five. North Dakota, Minnesota. Massachusetts, Omaha, and Cornell round out the top ten, followed by Denver, Providence, Western Michigan, Notre Dame. UMass Lowell's is 15. Then you've got Harvard, Ohio State, Northeastern, Boston College, and coming in number 20 is Bemidji State, the Beavers. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, and uh, I'll I'll remind you that if you're in Alberta and you live between Calgary and Edmonton, including St. Albert and Sherwood Park and all the towns in between, you place your order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop, use promo code PIPELINE, you get home delivery right to your door absolutely free. Also with Troubled Monk, they're having some fun. They have, basically, it's like a beer Thunderdome. 32 beers that uh, Troubled Monk has uh, crafted in the last, uh, I don't know if it's the last calendar year or if it's the last couple of years, but they're having a bit of a tournament. 32 beers enter, only one returns. So uh, you can go look at their social media. They're at Troubled Monk on Twitter, and you can see the bracket. And uh, you're going to start being able to submit votes this coming Monday. I know a couple that I like uh, that aren't facing off. They could actually meet in the final. That would be the Insane in the Lane Brain and the Giver Hells. I liked uh, both of those ones. Uh, there were several on this list that I like. And what's troubling for me, Troubled Monk, get it? There's a lot here that I actually didn't have a chance to sample. So some of these will be getting votes for me uh, kind of blind as I didn't get a chance to uh, try them out. But I will be interested to see uh, which beverage wins this uh, Little Monk Madness tournament. All right, the guest list this week, I have four guests for you. We're going to start looking at the OHL and the 2022 draft-eligible prospects uh, in that league. Uh, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey is my guest. He's going to set the stage for us. A lengthy conversation with Brock, but always a wealth of knowledge. 
does a great job telling us about these uh, key individual players for us to watch. Then we'll go to the queue and we'll get an update. As there was uh, a, a press conference I didn't mention happened in Bathurst about the stability, the long-term feasibility of the franchise in that uh, city. Uh, Mike Sanderson has the update for us. Then we're going to turn on the 2022 draft spotlight a couple of times. We'll start in the USHL with a 19-year-old. Been trying to spotlight some of those guys this year. Stephen Halliday is having a terrific season with the Dubuque Fighting Saints. We'll get to know him. And we'll end the show this week with Jordan Gustafson of the Seattle Thunderbirds, an Edmonton area guy having a terrific season with the T-Birds, also draft eligible. So a very busy show. Let's get right to it. Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show, fueled by Wilhock Beef Jerky. No sleep till! Bend off the wall, falling there was Longo as uh, he couldn't stop that rush on the right side. Goodberg walks in, hands it up in front, that's so good. Making a nice read there, stretched out those long legs. Hey, it's Matt Sogard from the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, it's one of my personal favorites, but tell the people about it. The Vacation Mexican Lager. When the chores are done, the lawn is mowed or the sidewalk shoveled. This Mexican lager is perfect for floating on fresh powder or floating down the river. Vacation Lager is a little getaway every day. Player comparable, Sidney Crosby can do it all and is always in the conversation of the very best. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we are going to head out to Ontario. We're going to look at the upcoming 2022 NHL draft. Boy, I, whenever I say 2022, it still feels like I'm talking about something way down in the future, but uh, it's right around the corner, I guess. Uh, and of course, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by our title sponsor. That's Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta. My next guest, though, is, um, well, he's got his hands all over the 2022 NHL draft. Uh, he is now heading up McKean's from their scouting department. And that, of course, is uh, Brock Otten. Brock, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, man. How are you? Good. Thanks, Guy. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. And I saw your, your top 50 that you put out uh, personally at OHL Prospects. Uh, I know the um, t- the new list for McKean's is about to come out as we're speaking right now. It's Monday. A little peek behind the curtain for, for uh, the audience. So we're chatting on Monday. It might come out today or tomorrow. Uh, by the time this episode of the Pipeline Show comes out, it will have been released. So not really going to delve too much into the McKean's list, but the, this top 50 that you put out on your uh, blog, obviously Shane Wright, the number one, and uh, Matthew Poitra is uh, the number two guy. I'm wondering about the, the gap between them. Is there, uh, everybody expects Shane Wright to be the number one guy. I'm just wondering how big of a gap there is. I think it's a pretty big gap at this point. I think really Shane Wright is, is the only person or the only player that I would classify as a slam dunk first round pick at this point. Mm. I think depending on who you ask, there could be one of a dozen different players at that number two spot in the OHL right now. And I don't think any of them are slam dunk first round picks. And that's, that's not to say that the OHL is in the midst of a down year. I think it's way too early to sort of say that. 
I think the problem is with the OHL not playing last year and most every other league on the planet playing, even the Q and the dub getting in different modifications of seasons, is that these OHL players are, for the most part, a dozen or so games into their OHL career, right? right so right. we're still sort of learning a lot about these players, and I think they're still learning as well. And consistency has been an issue for, for the vast majority of them, um, even Shane Wright. And I think that as the season sort of goes on, I think we'll start to see some tears formed and, and some guys elevating themselves into sort of that secure first-round range. I would be shocked if, you know, we at the end of the year, if we chat again and we're not talking about, you know, three or four guys in that secure first round range for the OHL. But right now, I think the gap is, is pretty large between Wright and Poitra. And for clarification, just for the audience, we're only talking about the OHL guys right now when we say there's a, a big gap between Wright and Poitra. That doesn't mean there's a bunch of other guys from other leagues and, and around the world in the entire class of uh, 2022 that might be in that upper echelon with uh, Shane Wright, um, but we're only looking at the OHL guys as we're speaking right now. Now, Wright didn't get off to a, uh, a super hot start to the year. Has that turned around, and, and what do you think was the reason for maybe what quote-unquote a slow start uh, was for him? Uh, honestly, yeah, he's turned it around a little bit, but even still, this past week, uh, again, he kind of slipped back into a bit of a slumber. You know, he won the OHL Player of the Week. And then this past weekend wasn't a, a terrific one for him. I know that there was that nationally televised game on CBC and he didn't really have a very good game. Um, and it's kind of back and forth for him still. I think he's still trying to find his place. Uh, the Kings of Frontenacs are kind of underwhelming where people were you know, thinking that they would be at this point. There was the expectation they would be one of the best teams in the OHL and yeah. London Knights have kind of taken hold of that spot and the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference are all kind of in that sort of same middle ground trying to find themselves. And I think they're still trying to find the best third line mate for Shane Wright and uh, LA Kings prospect, Martin Chromiak. I think it's undeniable that Wright and Chromiak have really good chemistry dating back to a couple of years ago, but they used Paul Ludwinski in that line to start the year. Then they went through Maddox Callens and now they're with Matthew Soto, who's a 16 year old. So they're trying to figure out, basically the replacement for Zade Wisdom, uh, who is out with a shoulder injury right now. And I don't know what's going to happen when he returns. There's a chance apparently that he could uh, be ready for the world junior camp. And then whether he gets reassigned to the AHL, which is possible because he played there last year, whether he's returned to Kingston. I mean, that would definitely elevate that line. But I think a lot of people have kind of been disappointed with Wright's intensity level. Uh, I think that without that, wisdom type on that line both he and Chromiak have kind of struggled to create their own space pretty consistently and uh, I think that watching him he's not playing as well as I've seen him play over the course of his career I've watched him since you know he was uh, in the Don Mills Flyers program and uh, he doesn't look as confident with the puck as he normally is and he just seems to be missing that extra year right now and I don't know there could be a variety of reasons for that. It, you know, there could be an injury that, that we don't know about. Uh, you know, it could have been a situation where he was off the ice for so long, other than the U18s last year, or I should say this year, I guess, um, where maybe he put on too much muscle and it's affecting the way that, you know, he's able to normally go about the way that he plays. Um, it could be a confidence thing. Uh, I think another thing too, I think Kingston has sort of underwhelmed and I think maybe the pressure is, is getting to him a little bit. 
I think that Kingston as a team, um, I think the one thing that they really lack is that top power play quarterback and top puck moving defenseman. They run five forwards on their first power play unit. So I think it's something that the organization realizes that is currently a weakness. And I think that ultimately is going to hurt a player like Wright, who, who doesn't have that, that defender who can activate and, and lead the attack and puts even more pressure on him to do so. Right. Mm, Especially right. if you're the focal point and, and teams are really gearing in on you. And I, I'm not necessarily worried. I think that there are some people out there who are pushing the panic button. I've seen a few comments in the last week or two about that. I'm not, I know his game too well to, to not believe that he won't turn things around and, and really elevate himself to, to being a more consistent contributor and, and being the player that we all think he is and know he is. Um, if, you know, World Junior Camp comes around in end of December there or mid-December, I should say, and, you know, he's still sort of slugging along in that sort of mid-range pace. And, you know, maybe he doesn't make the team, right? I mean, I don't think that's a slam dunk. I think we like to think it is based on how he played at the under-18s this year. But, uh, how many draft eligible players really make that team every year? It's, it's a tough team to make. And, uh, I don't think he's, he's a lock. And I think how he plays at that camp, which I hopefully is great, but I think that's going to have, uh, it's going to give us a good marker as to, to where his game is at currently then too. So it, it's a long season and long story short, I don't think he's playing his best, but I'm also not worried about that currently. Is he in the NHL next year though? Is that still, it's, I mean, um, Two months ago, that was an automatic. We assumed this would be his last year in the uh, in the OHL. I think if you would ask me, yeah, before the OHL season, I would have said yes for sure. But with his struggles this year, I- I'm not sure. Maybe that does point to to him still needing a little bit more time. And uh, the one thing that I've always admired about Wright is that his IQ intelligence is well beyond his peers, and I think that goes in all three zones. And that's something that is so important. Uh, for the NHL level to make that jump, right? You need yeah. to be dedicated at both ends of the rink and you need to have an understanding of, of how to play without the puck. And that's always been where Wright has excelled. And, you know, I think that at certain times this year, that's almost been a weakness. I think of a play actually from that nationally televised game where, you know, he he totally just got outworked in, in his own end and, and made a terrible play uh, defensively that ended up leading to a goal. And it was just something that I'd never really seen from Shane Wright before. So I think that maybe we need to reevaluate that. But at the same time, I do think it's a bit too early. I, I think part of the problem with Shane Wright too is, you know, with these sort of previous extremely hyped first overall picks, you know, your Connor McDavid's, um, your Sidney Crosby's, right? These players are, are all electric in terms of their ability to create one-on-one, right? Where, where Shane Wright isn't really that kind of player. Uh, he's, he's always been more of a cerebral type and that's not to say that he's not creative and he's not skilled and he's not quick. You know, he is the complete package, but he's also not the type of, of player who's going to go end to end. He's going to end up on highlight reels every single week. He's, he's much more of that sort of Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Taves type. Mm-hmm. And I know those are sort of the two comparisons that get thrown around a lot, but you know, that's more of what he is and, and he's not. Nathan McKinnon, he's not Sidney Crosby, he's not Connor McDavid, he's not that type of of player. Um, and I think that's something that draft pundits and fans and alike are going to have to get used to as well. And uh, I think that there's, just because he's not that type of player doesn't mean that he doesn't have value as well, right? 
Oh, that's absolutely the case. Uh, let's go to the, uh, well, I was going to say the Guelph Storm just in general, because uh, outside of Matthew Poitras, who we talked about, uh, they've got a number of players. Uh, Danny Jilkin, who was just on the show a couple of weeks back, and Jake Carabella, and Braden Bowman, and Michael uh, Bookinger, and Leo Haffenrechter. They even got a goaltender, Jacob Oster. This is a team I, I have to think there must be uh, for scouts this year. Everywhere they go, they, they must be packing the building for scouts. Yeah, 100%. I think they're a team that's also playing well above sort of people's expectations so far, and that's obviously going to help uh, a lot of the draft stock for, for those multiple players that you just mentioned, right? Um, team success is ultimately what's going to bring scouts to the building too. No no scout wants to travel to to a building where they know it's going to be a, a 7-1 blowout, right? There's not a lot that you can learn from some of those games. Well, the fact that Guelph is is competing and playing extremely well in a tough Western Conference uh, also shows that these players do deserve to be talked about. And I think that it's it's great, uh, you know, when you can knock off so many different players in just one viewing, right? Tell me about uh, Poitras as a, a centerman. Um, I know you have him ranked very high. There are other guys on this team that don't factor as high. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of Danny Jilkin and what the big difference, even just between those two guys are coming from the same team, point production's about the same. Why the big gap just between those two guys? Well, I think when you're comparing Quatra to a guy like Zilkin, you have to take into account the the age and experience difference, right? Zilkin, being a late 03, has already played a full season in the league. Um, you know, he's played at the U18s. There's a lot of experience that he has over a guy like Matthew Quatra, who's only uh, you know 15 games into his OHL career, right? So I think you need to definitely take that into account. Um, for me. I think Poitras sees the game a little bit better than Zilkin does as an offensive player. I think that the fact that Zilkin has improved his play away from the puck and has become a better two-way player definitely bolds well for his uh, NHL projection. But at the same time, I do worry that you know he doesn't have that innate sort of hockey sense that Poitras does. Mm-hmm. I think that Poitras, the one thing that really stands out when you watch him is that he's a very creative playmaker. He's the type of player who really seems to make his linemates better. And he's just constantly creating in the offensive zone. Um, very well-rounded offensive player. Brings speed, brings touch, makes great plays in sort of tight spaces. He's not huge, but because he's very agile, his, his edge work, and he's very confident uh, to use that sort of as a strength moving east-west, and it opens up a lot of space for him. Um, he's not somebody that seems to get pinned down in the offensive end very much, even though he, you know, he, he's not the strongest kid from you know, uh, being his first OHL season, right? And uh, I think that the potential is very high for him to develop as a two-way player, too. I think consistency-wise, there there has been uh, a little bit of issue with that. I think that at times he he's missing some assignments and he's kind of floating a little bit, but I think there's other times where he's completely dialed in in all three zones, and I think that his stick placement and his ability to forecheck and his ability to, to find, um, you know, success as a defensive player, I think will come as he gets a little bit stronger and becomes more confident. And I think that uh, he's a potential complete package as a center. And I've been really, really impressed with, with his play. And um, for me, uh, as you alluded to in the rankings, I think he's the guy that's sort of separated himself from that pack early on. And I sort of alluded to that earlier when I said that depending on who you ask, that number two guy could be uh, any dozen players. It honestly could be bigger than that. Uh, If somebody had said any 
15 or 16 players uh, from my top 50 were, was their number two behind Shade Wright. I, honestly, I wouldn't bat an eye. I think it's that close this year. And Poitra just is somebody who's really impressed me early on. And, um, and I think part of that is uh, the team success that Guelph is able to, to have. And I think he's just been very consistent in driving that. Uh, whereas Zilkin, I found, been a little bit more inconsistent with his offensive play. And I think that when he's not... Uh, you know, producing offensively, I don't know if he's quite as effective as Poitra can be. So I think that's where that sort of discrepancy is. I think Zokin is a guy that I, I made the comparison to Pierre Enval in in the write-up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I watch, obviously, I'm, I'm a Leafs fan from from this region, and he's a guy there that has all the tools, right? But it's like, why just why can't he put it together, right? There, there's one or two plays a game that's, that makes you wait, think, wow, like how is Pierre Enval not somebody who can take – at top six role, but then he makes a bunch of other plays where you're like, Oh, that's why. Right. <laughs> so I, I think that I still need to see more of Zilkin and I want to see how his game evolves over the course of the year and becomes a little bit more consistent with his decision-making. Brock Otten from McKean's is my guest. You can find his OHL rankings at ohlprospects.blogspot.com. Now I, you wanted to talk about some of the uh, imports that are playing in the OHL this year. And I wonder if they have a bit of advantage. I didn't look at all these guys individually, but, in the case of these players, did they play last year, you know, back in their homeland? And so they've got a little bit more, uh, I wouldn't say experience necessarily, but, you know, they didn't take last year off like uh, most of the OHL guys were forced to. Uh, I'm thinking of guys like uh, in, with the Ottawa 67s, uh, Vinny Rohrer and, and things like that. So a couple of them did, and Pavel Minchikov of the Saginaw Spirit did not. Okay. So he was a guy that was supposed to, he's a late 03, so he was supposed to play last year, um, signed and everything was going to be part of the Saginaw spirit. And then the league obviously never got off the ground and he never returned to, to Russia. So he was playing, uh, from what I understand, just practicing here and training over here, um, fully committed to, to being with the spirit. And, um, now that the OHL is up again, I mean, he's playing key minutes for Saginaw. And I think that he's somebody who's going to slowly rise up the rankings. Um, I think that he has that combination of, you know, decent size and really good mobility. I think that in particular, his four-way mobility is a real strength. I, I, I wouldn't call him, you know, a burner moving forward. I, I think that's just slightly above average. But when you factor in that overall four-way mobility, it's just very difficult to to beat in transition. Always seems to squash attacks really early. Um, very difficult player to set up against. And I think that... It's something that scouts are going to really uh, be drawn to over the course of the year. I think offensively, too, he has some weapons. He's got a big point shot. He's fairly skilled. Sees the ice well. Just been really, really impressed with his game. I think he has a chance to to be the top defenseman from the OHL this year for the draft. And wow. You mentioned Vinny Rohr from the 67s. Um, he's been uh, really impressive as a creative playmaker. Very um, good one-on-one -on -one puck skills. Seems to make a defender miss pretty much every time I've watched Ottawa play this year and uh, has a very uh, high motor too. Never seems to quit on the puck at either end. And I think that when you combine sort of his high skill level and creativity with that high motor, that's always a player that's going to draw a lot of attention from NHL scouts too. And I think you look at the Ottawa 67s, similar to how you do the Guelph Storm. Here's a team that many people we're kind of expecting would be near the bottom of the East standings. They're kind of rebuilding a little bit and they've been consistently at the top and they're playing fantastic. And it's because of guys like Vinnie Rohrer and the steps forward that like Jack Beck has taken and another important uh, 
and Guidamac, who, you know, has a chance to be taken as a reentry. Um, you know, the quality of the imports in the league uh, has been fantastic so far. And I think there's uh, the guys that I have mentioned in that article, um, the others being um, Matis Sapovalev and Servak Petrovsky. Um, you know, these guys have a really good shot of being drafted in that sort of top 75 range, I think. Ruslan Gazazov with the London Knights just got here. He's only got four games in, but he's already got seven points, all of them assists. Have you had a chance to watch him yet? Not as much as I would like. Uh, I actually did just watch one of the London games just recently that he played in. I was extremely impressed. Um, I actually clipped a few things from that game and I posted them on Twitter, um, just a few videos. And he is somebody, I think, that if he continues to play at the level he has with London, um, I think he's going to move up pretty quickly. And I think he might be that guy who could sort of separate himself from the pack and, and move into that number two spot. Um, but I think, you know, it's obviously early, but just from what I've seen and from other people that I've talked to that have seen London uh, a couple times with him in the lineup, um, you know, he's a very impressive player. He's running the point of the London power play right now. Uh, seems to have really high end vision, um, very patient and poised with the puck. And he's, uh, he's also a type of guy that doesn't seem to, to quit similar to like Roar, right? Where, He's combining that creativity and that vision with somebody who is hard on uh, pucks and does, you know, play well away from the puck as well. So uh, I definitely want to see more. Um, and I think he's somebody that uh, scouts are going to be flocking to see in the next little bit to, to really get a read on him. Brock, two more guys I want to ask you about. They're both uh, older players. Uh, Tucker Robertson with the Peterborough Peets was draft eligible last year, I believe, but no season and only had 18 points in his rookie year, so uh, didn't get chosen. But now he's got 23 points in 14 games. And uh, doing it without uh, uh, the Peterborough Peets uh, star player, Mason McTavish, because he's uh, with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, how is this guy getting it done and this performance that he's putting on I know with your OHL rankings, you're only doing the first-year eligible guys. I have to think Robertson's uh, impressed. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know what? We at McKean's had him listed as an HM in our draft guide last year just based off of his play at the Erie Invitational. He was really, really strong at that event that was put on by a few OHL players just to try to get some action in before the draft last year, if you recall. And Tucker Robertson was, was fantastic at that event. Um, and so... You know, based off of his play, and there was a few guys that we sort of listed in that sort of HM range slash in the 200s of our draft guide. Um, and then ultimately, there were some guys who were drafted. I, I, honestly, I do believe so because of that event. Mm -hmm. And I think that Robertson is definitely somebody who was, you know, put uh, put on a few lists, didn't get drafted, but definitely somebody who uh, was noticeable at that event and, and made teams take notice and, and now he's playing extremely well to start the OHL year. He looks quicker. He looks more confident with the puck. He's another guy that is just never quits. Um, he's just an absolutely relentless four checker. Um, you know, he knows what his role is on the ice when he doesn't have the puck. And I think that when you factor in the fact that he has taken that next step uh, as a puck handler and add a little bit more quickness to his stride, um, with the fact that he is also a competitive player who, you know, consistently brings a high intensity level. Uh, I think that explains why he's performing the way that he is for Peterborough, even without 
somebody like Mason McTavish and the fact that Peterborough is going through a bit of a, a rebuild this year and, and do find themselves a little bit further down the standings than they probably like. But uh, he's definitely on the draft radar, I would, I would think. I think he's probably somebody who could find himself in the top 100 as long as he can keep this up. Now, the last guy I want to ask you about, we started with a Kingston front neck. We'll end with one as well. You and I were chatting before the interview about Lucas Edmonds because he's, he's put up 24 points here in 14 games. Uh, now, he's uh, I think he was born in Sweden, but played a lot in Canada, played in both countries, uh, most recently in Sweden, coming back uh, and playing uh, with the Frontenacs this year. But he's 20 years old right now, so you and I weren't even 100% sure that he was draft eligible anymore. Uh, but you checked it out with his father. And uh, he is. So uh, this is an interesting case here. Yeah. So it's like you said, we were chatting about him earlier. And it's interesting because it sounds like there was a lot of NHL interest uh, in terms of signing him and then went through sort of the process and the NHL deemed him to be still draft eligible, just like they did uh, with Andre Bielski uh, of the USHL last year, even though he was 2000 born. So normally uh, last year, that would have been the equivalent of a CHL overager, but also the USHL having overagers as well. Um, so it was one of those situations, I believe, that sort of came out uh, about mid-season after he made the jump to the USHL and was playing extremely well, that he was actually still draft eligible because they had deemed him under the European uh, rules or um, eligibility. So the same thing uh, is being done with Lucas Edmonds of the Kings of Frontenacs, who, as you said is playing fantastic he's third in ohl scoring right now uh, as we're speaking and he's honestly been fantastic um he is an extremely skilled player um i have absolutely loved how he creates time and space for himself he's absolutely lethal on the power play because he has that ability to not only find open space um his ability to create it as well with with just little moves and being able to fight through traffic, even though he's not the biggest is something that is extremely impressive. And uh, I think the skill level is very, very high. Uh, the only thing I think that scouts are going to hold him against him a little bit is that he's probably classified as more of an average skater. Uh, he, he doesn't have uh, an extremely quick top gear. Um, he's somebody who, does a lot of his damage inside the offensive zone. And, and you and I both know that sometimes that doesn't translate as well to the pro level. But I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, this is a player who is showing a lot of skill and a lot of smarts. And I think that as long as he continues to play well, he's definitely going to be somebody that they look at in that sort of mid round range, uh, possibly even higher. And I think he's somebody that teams are going to want to add into their prospect pool. And like I said, uh, I've been, uh, I've absolutely loved watching him, and he's certainly going to to have a lot of eyes on him this year as uh, teams flock to see Shane Wright and Paul Woodwinski and uh, some of the other talented players that are on the front end. Well, he's uh, going to be 21 years old by the time the draft actually arrives, but to get him, uh, you're either going to have to uh, be the highest bidder after the draft if he doesn't get taken, because uh, there'll be a, a few teams looking to sign him uh, or use a draft pick and take him, and then you have him for sure. Uh, for For me... I mean, a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old, that doesn't happen very often that they're getting drafted. But I expect the 2022 draft, we'll see more 19-year-olds who are still eligible. I think we're going to see more of those guys being drafted than ever before just because of how little action there was for a lot of these players last year. Oh, I agree 100%. I think uh, especially when you look at some of the regions that were 
more heavily affected, right? The OHL didn't play at all. The Swedish junior leagues barely played. The WHL had such a shortened, condensed season, no yep. playoffs, right? Um, I think that we're going to see a record number of, for lack of a better term, re-entries, right? I, I know that there's sort of a, a confusing way to, to describe these players because some people think of players who don't sign that go back in the draft as re-entries. Whether you want to call them overagers, re-entries, Either way, I think we're going to see a lot of them taken this year. And I think with good reason, honestly. I think when you look at the, the history of the draft, more and more of these players are getting drafted every year. Um, and I think part of that is flexibility. Uh, you mentioned signing them to a contract. Well, if you take a, a 20-year-old, you still don't have to sign them to a contract right away. You yeah. could have them play for your AHL team, or you could loan them to Europe and play against uh, men over there. And then make a, a a decision after you've seen them play sort of at a more of a pro level first, right? Um, before you give out that ELC uh, or you could give, uh, or you could draft a, a USHL player that's in their last year of eligibility. And then they, they still have three or four years of college. So you have an idea at 23 and 24, whether that's a player you want to sign versus 19 or 20, right? There's a big difference there. And I think that teams have sort of clued into that, that, Development is a nonlinear process, right? The best players at 18 or 19 uh, aren't always going to be the best ones at 21 or 22. So, you know, if players are showing that sort of progress, be it because they're taking their conditioning more seriously, because they've found confidence, because they're in a better situation to succeed on a different team, right? There's all kinds of different things that go into it. But uh, I think that the scouting community is a lot more open to drafting older players now and you see the success of it um you know i I think a perfect example would be andrew mangiapani in calgary right you know in in your area well not quite but close (laughs) right in calgary uh you know he he's been fantastic for the flames this year and he was one of those types of players who was drafted uh later um and uh, there's examples all over the league Brock, uh, where do people get the uh, the listing for McKean's when it is available? And for most people, it will be by now. Yeah, so uh, for us, uh, seeing as it's Monday that we're chatting, it has been submitted. So I know that we're giving NBC, uh, Roto World there, or I believe it's NBC's Edge. Keeps, <laughs> it keeps changing yeah. on me. Um, either way, NBC, uh, there'll be an article going up there, I believe, on Tuesday, which will have our full top 32, but no honorable mentions. And then I would imagine in the next, day or two at least by the end of the week the mckean's top 32 plus hms will be on the mckean's website and uh, it'll be able to be perused by all we'll watch for that brock as always really appreciate your time man thanks for doing this hey my pleasure that's brock otten from mckean's hockey as well as uh, he's got his blog at ohlprospects.blogspot.com one of the few guys that i know that he still has a uh, a blog spot uh, account Back in the day, we had one here for the Pipeline show, uh, Dean Millard and I, but, but we we weren't very good at uh, keeping the the old blog updated. But uh, Brock does a terrific job, and uh, by now you'll be able to see the uh, listing from McKean's as the Pipeline show will come out on Friday. We were we had that conversation on Monday, and uh, he was talking about it coming out on Tuesday. So uh, by now, most of my audience will be able to uh, have access to that listing. And one takeaway when he was talking about uh, Shane Wright, still the the clear number one guy, but not necessarily a, a guarantee based on the way he's played so far this year 
to not be back in the OHL next season. Wouldn't that be a shocker? Maybe that also changes what we see the Kingston Frontenacs do this season. Are they all in? Because if you're if you're convinced you're not getting the exceptional status Shane Wright back next year, don't you have to go all in this year? Maybe that's changed a little bit. It's very early in the season. Uh, we got the January 10th deadline coming up. Right now, though, the, the Fronts are like middle of the pack in their conference. I guess it's not a lock that he makes the World Junior Team. I actually thought it would pretty much be a lock, and, I, and I'd still be surprised if he doesn't make that team, especially after the the World U18 that he had uh, this past spring. But who knows? If he's gone for you know five weeks uh, from the Frontenacs lineup, what does that do to the Kingston's chances of uh, getting into the playoffs and holding on to a playoff position by the time the trade deadline comes around? I guess lots of balls up in the air, and only time will tell, as they like to say. Speaking of time, up next, we're heading out to New Brunswick, and uh, Mike Sanderson covers the Quebec Majors Junior Hockey League and is a broadcaster extraordinaire. And he is up next to bring us up to speed on what's happening in the queue. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with a lot for near, pokes it ahead, still has it. Rolling puck, lot for near, works in, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Well, the frickin' God! Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to head out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and, and talk some Q uh, news and events and uh, some interesting stories uh, out there. But, of course, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. My next guest won't be able to get his hands on it because it's only available in Western Canada. Uh, but uh, pleased to be joined once again by Mike Sanderson, now one of the voices of the St. John Sea Dogs and uh, some other stuff, longtime broadcaster in the Q. And one of our insiders, our one of our go-to guys whenever it's time to talk Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Mike, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you, Guy. I'm doing well. I will tell you I may not be able to get my hands on some of it, but I do have a mailing address, and that means I can get some eventually. Oh, perfect. Outstanding. Might have to hook you up with some of that uh, if, I, if I can. I know they'll ship it anywhere in Western Canada, but that means I could maybe ship it to you as well. So I don't know. Well, we'll drop shipping's to... a big business key. You never know. We'll have to look into that. Uh, all right, <laughs> let's start in the in the in with the big news of, I guess it was just this week, uh, there was a press conference in uh, Bathurst, New Brunswick, uh, talking about the future of the the, the Teton. I always call them the Titans. But um, 
I, I didn't know what exactly was happening there, but you're telling me that this is basically it's going to ensure that they stay put for the next uh, how long? Five, six years, something like that. I didn't know that that was uh, an issue. Um, so bring me up to speed on what all the um, the news was. Yeah, essentially, I mean that's that's the hope anyway. So the city of Bathurst announced to yesterday, which would be Tuesday. Uh, this past week that uh, the city is going to partner with the Acne Bathurst Titan to ensure that they've got a little bit more stability, a little bit more help. Uh, it's a few grants. So uh, as of right now, it's a two-part grant. They're going to get $75,000. Now the team is, there's a $100,000 grant that will be coming eventually. They're from two different parts of uh, city funds. And right now it's a one-year deal, uh, but there is talk. And it sounds like the way they were talking, a pretty encouraging sign that that deal could extend for the next five years. So uh, for the Acne Bathers Titan, that's good news because the ownership group did come out before the season in August or September and basically said if they aren't averaging 2,500 fans around Christmas time, they would have to put all the options on the table. And for those who speak owners speak, you know, all <laughs> options on the table is if they're not looking for a new arena, it means they're looking to move. So, you know, that's obviously, uh, you know, some kind of code words there. But the fact the city sees the tourism advantage of having the Titan there, having them fill their rank, be a big tenant uh, for the Casey Irving Regional Center. Uh, they see the importance in terms of the city and the region. The Acne Bathurst Titan obviously don't really want to move. And, uh, you know, it creates a partnership a little bit out of necessity. But it's good news for the stability of uh, one of the CHL's smallest markets. Is it the uh, smallest market in the queue? I'm thinking uh, Swift Current's, I think, the smallest market in the WHL. And there's about 20,000, 25,000 people. How many is it in Bathurst? a little less than 20. I believe if you check, it's about 17,000. I'm not sure 100% because I know when you say Acadie Bathurst, they do market a bit broader of a net than most other teams would. But I remember when Cranbrook moved to Winnipeg and speaking of Winnipeg Ice this year, been yeah. playing phenomenally. Uh, but when they moved from Cranbrook, I know Cranbrook was the smallest market in the dub at that point, mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that Bathurst slightly smaller than that. So just to give perspective, when Bathurst won the Memorial Cup in 2018, there was talk of the smallest market in the CHL. Uh, so that kind of does feed one into the other there. Okay. Uh, now, how realistic was the thought of them moving, or was this kind of just one of those empty threats to get your own way, uh, and uh, you know that squeaky wheel gets the oil uh, sort of thing, or was there uh, the case where you could see other markets in the footprint of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, or maybe outside of the current footprint uh, that is looking to get a franchise or more, maybe uh, other locations as well? Could the league expand from? the current amount of teams? Well, I think right now, based on the market and what's available, it would be tough for the queue to move. And I think that was a factor for the city of Bathurst and the Acne Bathurst Titan is that, you know, for the Titan at this point, the way that the markets that don't have teams is set up, there's not a lot of viable markets that could step in and take on this team, you know, in a way that would be pretty smooth. You know, the two biggest markets, I think everybody talks about Canadian anyway, in terms of the East Coast, uh, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is always Fredericton and Trois-Rivières. And at this point, Trois-Rivières held out for the queue so long, they ended up getting an ECHL team that started playing this year. Mm. And for Fredericton, there's always the issue of UNB and UNB owning the Aiken University Centre and the issues that come into that, whereas what kind of home dates would you get? What kind of control would you have over your own business interests, over your own marketing, over concessions and whatnot? So, you know, those are kind of your two biggest markets that don't have teams in the queue right now, at least Canadian markets anyway. Uh, so for the Acadie Bathurst Titan, if there's a threat to move, there's not a lot of opportunity to move to a place that would have a better rank than Bathurst would have or have a better market base than Bathurst would have. We do and have mentioned Bathurst is one of the smallest markets 
uh, in Canada that hosts a major junior team at this point. But, you know, you look at former Q markets and, you know, you look at maybe Saint-Hyacinthe or Sorel Tracy or, you know, you look at uh, markets like Granby. You know, the issue is either they don't have the building or the building is too old or the building is really small. You know, in Acadie Bathurst, they host around, I believe, a little over 4,300. And none of those places I mentioned have a building that's bigger than 3,000. So, Mm. you know, your question becomes, do you market to uh, potentially 3,000 fans, you know, in a market that maybe you get that? Chances are you won't if you look at the average sentence in the queue. Or do you get potentially 4,500 fans or whatever there is in Bathurst? So, you know, there is certainly a a trade-off in some ways that you would have to look at. And I think that did help the incentive a little bit with the team at least because, you know, if there is no viable market with a building saying, hey, come here and, you know, be a team, team up with us in our municipality, then that doesn't give them much incentive to move. And there isn't much of a threat for the team facing the city in that kind of spot. You don't have a lot of leverage. So I think that also played a little bit in there. Uh, in terms of the team itself and, you know, how big a threat to move it was, there's been rumblings consistently over the last little bit that, you know, Bathurst obviously being a smaller market, some of those rumors come up regardless of being a small market team. Uh, but there was some rumblings when they went to that big ownership group and then, you know, they kind of bought down to an ownership group of about a dozen or so, whatever there is now, I forget. Uh, but it was a large group of about 26, I believe, that bought into, you know, to getting Leo Gimora set out of there. And then, you know, that group included Sean Couturier and Roberto Luongo and a large group of, of known people and then trimmed down quite a bit a couple of years ago, you know, there was that talk that, you know, if you had such a big group down to such a small group, if you needed extra capital, why wouldn't you increase that ownership group? And they never did. So, Mm. you know, lots of questions around what the ownership was doing in Acadie Bathurst in terms of if they needed more funds, there were ways to get those funds, you know, and that kind of thing. So were they looking, you know, at a place in Quebec? Was there a deal there? You know, there's a couple of maritime markets that were sniffing around apparently at some point, but that never really materialized beyond the rumor stage. So, you know, really for for Bathurst, the the Titan team, there wasn't a lot of leverage to move anywhere else, at least at this point. So, you know, I think that's part of what helped get this deal done. It doesn't seem that long ago. I had Gilles Courteau on the show, but it must be before COVID came in. Uh, but I, the, I remember the last conversation I had with him, we were talking about potential expansion sites and and uh, even getting back into the States. And he said he had an interest in that and said it wouldn't necessarily be Maine and that he could see maybe the queue reaching as far down as Massachusetts. I don't know how realistic that is, but he ever heard of anything like that about whether it's it's Maine, back into Maine, or, or uh, Massachusetts, or even Vermont? Well, I think if you look at the future of the league and you look at the fact that Q only has the six New England states basically to draft out of in the states, whereas the other two junior teams or junior leagues have the rest of the continental U.S. really that they can pick from, mm-hmm. uh, I think the Q has always had some interest in having a bigger footprint in their territory in the United States. They are the only league in the CHL that doesn't have an American team at present, and they haven't had an American team for a decade now with Lewiston disbanding and then Sherbrooke coming in kind of the Phoenix rising up from the ashes, literally and figuratively. Uh, You know, you look at uh, what they were trying to do with that Lewiston franchise, and I think they had the right idea, you know, get into a, a maritime city where the team wouldn't be buried behind other sports teams and kind of establish a footprint there. And the fan base in Lewiston was great. There was absolutely no issue with the fans there. They embraced the team. They went to the games. You know, the issues involving Lewiston Maniacs didn't involve anything to do with the fan base. They were well supported. But, 
you know, you look at the future and you look ahead to the next, you know, 50 years for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And I think there's definitely interest to convince some of these New England kids that, you know, there are other options other than, you know, the four universities in Boston and the Ivies and the Hockey East and, you know, the NCAA college route. You know, some Q teams have done a pretty good job of convincing American players to report, but having a footprint and a true team that you can look at college hopefuls and say, look, this is the quality of hockey and see it with their own eyes. Be that in Portland, be that in Manchester, New Hampshire, be that, you know, somewhere else in, in Lowell or Wooster or even as low as Springfield or wherever you're looking in Massachusetts, that at least provides these college hopefuls with a tangible, attendable product that they can see for their own eyes. And I think from the Q for the Q's best interest, absolutely. If they were to expand it to Portland or expand it to Manchester, that's instantly their second or third biggest market in the league. Right. You know, this is not the biggest markets in terms of you look at Ontario, obviously you're in Toronto and you're in Ottawa and London and Kitchener, Waterloo and, you know, Windsor and the Detroit market. And, you know, there's lots, there's lots of people there and you look out West. I mean, they're in every big city. You look in Quebec, Halifax is pretty big at half a million people. Montreal area, obviously the Q is always interested in having a team there. There's a team in Blanville-Boisbriand now, which is an off-island suburb, you know, but the Montreal market always has had trouble keeping teams, not unlike Toronto. Um, But Quebec City is the biggest market probably in the CHL that truly embraces their junior team, other than, say, Edmonton and Calgary. And beyond that, there's not a lot of big markets in the queue. So Portland would instantly put themselves in that category. Uh, Manchester, New Hampshire would put themselves in that category. There's other cities in the New England area that would be a mid to big size market in the queue. So not only are you talking about future, you're talking about college hopefuls, but you're also talking about ingesting a lot of true market share and dollars back into the league. So, you know, there's a lot to look into if the queue is looking to expand in New England. Mike Sanderson is my guest, a Quebec Major Junior Hockey League insider and broadcaster uh, with the St. John Sea Dogs. Let's get to uh, the teams in the queue that are playing right now. And one, the first thing that jumps out at me when I look at the standings is just how tight it is. Even Sherbrooke is uh, the uh, team with the most points with 26 points, but you know they're only four points clear of uh, the sixth place team. And you know, the sixth place team isn't all that far away from being the 15th place team. It's It seems like parity in the queue this year that we haven't seen for a long time. No, it's been a long time since we've had parity this good, you know, and, and we've been away from, you know, much of these strong, strong teams that come in, be dominant all season long. Obviously last year with Charlottetown, 35 and five, pretty hard to reach those heights again. But, you know, as we knock Charlottetown by saying they've lost the same amount of games already this year, but they're 12-5-1. <laughs> they're second in the league. It's not really fair. Yeah. You know, but uh, the, the, the parity along the league, and a lot of these teams up top, you know, Sherbrooke at 13-3, and three, I think that's a little bit unexpected. You know, certainly Sherbrooke was a team that people consider to be maybe in the next wave of good teams, maybe a mid-pack team, not number one overall, but you look at the skill they're getting out of Joshua was really woken up this season. Xavier Parons played like a captain, like the player Halifax expected when they drafted him. And and that Sherbrooke team is a lot of 18-year-olds. They're not, you know, a lot of 19s and 20s. They're not loaded up really high on vets. The Ramuski team in third place right now with 24 points coming in, uh, you know, they're a team that, if everything would have went as we would expect on paper, they might be looking to sell in a month. But right now, with the way they've been playing at 11-4, and four, now willing to note only seven of those wins are in regulation. But 
regardless, you know, the Oceanic might be in a position to throw their players a bone and go for a small buy and go ahead with it. And they had a couple of players that would have had quite quite an interest in the market. Alex Drover is at over a point a game. Jeremy Biakabatuka is a player on the defensive end who a lot of teams looking for a defensive defenseman upgrade might have looked that way. But with Ramuski in third overall, they may not be interested in selling. Maybe the premium goes up another asset or two for those players. You look at the fifth overall Moncton Wildcats. You know, nobody would have expected them to be in second place in the Maritime Division, but with how tight everything's been mm-hmm. and Moncton continuing their play from last year, you know, where they were such a tough out for a team with not a lot of talent, and that's still kind of true this year, but they outwork teams and they outwork teams for 60 minutes, and that's gotten them Ws. They're 10 5 1 1. So, you know, you look at teams that had hot starts being rewarded at the top, you look at some teams that didn't quite snap into place right away in particular St. John and Bathurst and they're in the lower half of the standings right now and you know it's teams that played well to start the year are being rewarded teams at the bottom end uh, are having a lot to catch up but as you said there's not a lot of separation between top and bottom in this league and having a good or a bad weekend could really change the complexity of the whole thing you look at uh, Shakutami a team that Right now is in 11th. They had a maritime swing and went 3-0. and So they really moved themselves up in the standings. She went again, a team that a lot of people would see as a contender. They were 6-1 and in their last seven coming into the Maritimes. They come out at 6-4. and They lost all three on the weekend. So, hmm. you know, points are tough and, and games are tough early in the season, which is something we haven't uh, seen in the last few years. Now, the Sea Dogs are hosting the Memorial Cup this year, and right now in the standings, they're 12th. That doesn't look great, but as we kind of talked about with this parody, they're really only what, three wins, four wins out of fourth or fifth place in the league. So is it as bad as it looks on paper? I know they got off to a slow start. Have they turned it around? Yeah, the slow stuff is is really the tough part. St. John's six and four in their last 10, but, you know, they were the last team in the queue to get a victory out of all the 18 teams, and that certainly uh, didn't didn't look well to start the season. The tough part with the Sea Dogs is that they really only have one line that's been doing much of the scoring. William Dufour has been excellent for the Sea Dogs with 27 points. You add Burns and Lawrence to the mix, but other than that, forward-wise, Riley Bezo is the only forward that has double digits in points. You know, so there's players that much was expected to make a bigger jump. You look at someone like Peter Reynolds, nine points in 17 games, five points for Cam McDonald. And on the back end, Charlie DeRush with only two assists in 17 games. Much was expected for some of this depth scoring, which the Sea Dogs haven't drafted and cultivated over the last couple of years to bring forward into this mix. And, you know, with Ryan Francis coming back from Calgary, a great boost. That's our top line center. He's going to be an impact player as he was last year. You know, the, the switch goes from, does you know players like Reynolds and Cam McDonald and 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 players fit in with Francis or do they have to go out and get wingers for Francis for the second year in a row? So you know questions do come in. What does the depth on offense look like for the Sea Dogs? Can they jumpstart Peter Reynolds? Can they mm-hmm. jumpstart Cam McDonald? Can they jumpstart Evgeny Sapelnikov at seven points in seventeen games? Or they look for an upgrade in the import spot? You know there's a lot of questions up front that I don't think necessarily that. The Sea Dogs were expecting to have to answer uh, defensively as well. This is still a team that's giving up more goals than they score, and that's uh, that's been an issue for a few years with this core. And once again, it's still an issue this year now in their fourth head coach with this core and Gord Dwyer. So you know the the tough part for the Sea Dogs is that 
they have a month with this group, and they're trying to add on the margins. Their 20s are pretty good. Francis, the goaltender, Lemieux with Valdor last year, they're probably not going to find an upgrade in net on Lemieux, and I would imagine they're not looking. Jonathan Lemieux is a goaltender, and Chris Ennis on the back end is a solid defensive defenseman. You know, yes, you're going to be looking at upgrades wherever you can, but in terms of 20-year-olds, they've got three pretty good ones, and uh, they're adding on the margins. They picked up two players from the OHL this past uh, this past month, and Yannick Cut from Ottawa and Jacob Chandler of the London Knights system. And uh, at at best, you've got two players that can play in your bottom six for that. At worst, you've got hopefully two assets that might look in a trade somebody else might want in a month. But the fact is the Sea Dogs have this roster for the next month before they can make any big moves. So, you know, all you can do is really hope and hope that chemistry does form. But, you know, chemistry and mental focus has been a struggle for this team for the last couple of years, and uh, that's still the case this year. So some moves are going to have to be made to turn this team into a true contender. Last one I want to ask you about, Mike. I noticed the uh, Quebec Rampart have uh, they've scored one goal fewer than the most in the league, so they're they're one of the most offensive teams in the league. But they had the worst power play; they're uh, just under twelve percent uh, with the man advantage. I- I'm guessing the if you're playing against the Rampart, just take penalties all game because they can't seem to score. So uh, how can they be that offensive minded but that bad on the power play? That makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look at this Rampart team and they added Zach Bolduc. So, you know, you look at how good that offense is. Taylor Rochette's been excellent as a first-line center. Got a lot of points. They've got a lot of points five-on-five. Five. They have struggled on the power play. And once that clicks, I think you'll see the, the Rampart start dominating games. And, uh, you know, they're, they're coming in, I believe, at, uh, you know, over 10 wins of the year. We look at the standings real quick at 11 and 6. You know, yeah, they're scored 68 goals, which is one off the pace. Once that offense clicks on the power play, you know, they'll have no trouble dusting off teams, I think. You know, Fabio Jacobo is a really great goaltender uh, who they got from Victoriaville last year, the uh, championship winner. Uh, they've got lots of assets. This is a team, you remember, Guy, that they didn't announce the Memorial Cup host until a couple of months ago. So yep. Quebec was in the running. You, you have to make your preparations assuming you're going to be hosting the Memorial Cup. So they did pay the price to get Zach Bolduc. They still have some pieces left when it comes into the trading period. So, you know, and Patrick was very aggressive, as as we've known for years, you know, that uh, if you see something he doesn't like, he's going to make moves to change it. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Ramparts be a big buy or a big change to try to jumpstart that power play if it's not working in a month and the uh, midseason trading period opens up. Mike, always a great rundown and uh, bringing us up to speed on everything happening in the queue. Thanks for your time, man. This was great. Always. My pleasure. Thank you. There's Mike Sanderson, broadcaster with the uh, St. John Sea Dogs and a longtime contributor here on the Pipeline Show for all things Quebec Major Junior Hockey League related. Uh, man, I was a, it's not like I'm a census worker or something, but I said Swift Current's about 20,000, 25,000. Uh, it's well under 20,000 as well. It's about 16,000, 17,000 uh, according to Wikipedia. And so if it's on the Internet, you know it's true. Uh, so really about the same size as uh, Bathurst. Um, looking at it, Saskatchewan actually, the, probably the market in between Alberta and Saskatchewan that is maybe big enough, uh, geographically uh, reasonable to think that they could sustain a, a WHL team would probably be Lloyd Minster. I would think, you know, Grand Prairie and uh, Fort McMurray, of course, big enough, have the population, but because they're so far off the uh, the current footprint uh, that it might be a bit of a headache to travel that far, but Lloydminster would make a lot of sense, right? Basically between Edmonton and, and uh, Saskatoon and, and Prince Albert. But that's a, a discussion for another time. In the queue, uh, that parody is fantastic. I think that's great for the fans because every team is still in it. 
Uh, I I think that's terrific. And waiting for Quebec to break out, that it's really unusual to see a team that offensive, five on five, struggling on the power play. I mean, they have the league's worst or almost the league's worst power play. Now that's really surprising. And once they get that figured out and smoothed out, uh, that team is going to take off. Uh, I agree with Mike when he said that. All right, the ne- the next couple segments, we're going to turn on the 2022 draft spotlight. Uh, first up, we're going to go to the USHL's Dubuque Fighting Saints. And uh, here's a player. He's actually 19, and we've been doing that throughout the season this year as well, looking at overage guys, guys who have gone through the draft once or twice already, uh, because I think in 2022, we're going to see a lot more of those players taken than ever before. Uh, with the COVID situation of the last 20 and 21 months, I think you're going to see a lot of guys who didn't get the exposure for one reason or another, late bloomers, if you will, uh, who are breaking out now. And Stephen Halliday of the Dubuque Fighting Saints is one of those guys having a terrific year. He's one of the top scorers in the USHL. Big news for him is he's announced his college commitment. Let's get to know Stephen Halliday. Up next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Yorkstrand hustles after it. Gavrikov off the point, Sillinger, his first in the National Hockey League. Hey, it's Paul Sillinger, the two Paul Stampede, and this is the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand score! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Giant Turkey is a little over the line, my man. We are back on the Pipeline Show. Of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Uh, we're going to turn on the 2022 draft spotlight and get to know another player who is draft eligible this year. And for this segment, we're heading south uh, into the USHL and uh, specifically with the Dubuque Fighting Saints as a forward. Stephen Halliday uh, is uh, my guest. He joins me now. Stephen, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, the team this year off to a pretty good start. I know you're coming off a, a couple of losses against the Chicago Steel, but in general, uh, one of the top teams uh, in the USHL this year. How are things going for you and the club? Uh, I think they're going pretty well. I think we're still trying to find uh, our identity, but I think that uh, everything's getting better uh, every weekend we play. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. These two losses against Chicago, the only two times you've uh, lost in regulation time this year. Is that correct? Yeah, they are. All right. So, I mean, in general, I mean, it sounds like it's been a pretty good year. Is this a, a team that uh, lots of veterans or what's the makeup of your squad like this year? Yeah, I think we got a lot of uh, returning guys that are uh, that are ready to take a next, the, their next steps from last year. Uh, we got a, we brought in a couple of guys like we got a couple of Swede, Swedish guys that have really stepped up for us. And then obviously with the emergence of Kurth, like he, he was a great player last year, but I think he stayed taken a lot of steps this year too well and you're having a heck of a season as well you're uh, third in league scoring right now just a couple of points uh behind the uh the league's top scorer in jackson blake with chicago 
clearly has been your strongest season. What's the biggest difference for you this year compared to the last couple? I think just uh, in the off season, I worked a lot on just like conditioning and getting way in way better shape than I was last year. And I think that that can that that allowed me to skate a little bit faster. And I think with that comes I obviously play with really good good great players too, which has helped my success this season. But I think a lot of it has to do with uh, my off season work. Have your line mates changed a lot this year? Or have you been playing with the two same two guys for most of it? Uh, yeah, like this preseason, it moved around a bit just because coach was trying to find uh, a couple new, uh, like what might work in the regular season. But yeah, I've played with Ryan Beck, who's coming back from the OHO. He pulled, he signed in the OHL, but he never really played. So he got his eligibility back. Okay. And then I play with Kurth, who's a great player. Uh, and when I'm looking at your game-by-game stats, there's only been two games this year where you didn't hit the score sheet. So consistency is something a lot of guys your age struggle with. It seems to be something you found this year. Yeah, I think that that just comes with experience. Um, not getting too high after a great game and not getting too low after a, a bad game. And I think I didn't play my line didn't play our best games the last two games, which is which is unfortunate because uh, we would have liked to get a couple points, but. I think just making sure that you're uh, working throughout the week just to uh, have the, that mentality of just not getting too high and not getting too low. Stephen Halliday is my guest. He's a forward with the Dubuque Fighting Saints in the United States Hockey League. And, uh, Stephen, what we like to do in this part of the show is uh, let my audience get to know somebody who's in your position being an undrafted player and uh, looking to uh, hear your name being called in the next NHL draft. Uh, so for the benefit of those casual NHL fans who don't maybe don't follow junior hockey at all, uh, let's get some background. Uh, first, I'm going to ask you where you're where you're from originally, and it's interesting because the USHL's website says your hometown is Glenwood, Maryland, uh, but other websites say you're from Ajax, Ontario. So set the record straight. Uh, yeah. So I was I was born in Ajax, Ontario. So I I was born in Canada, but I ended up moving to Glenwood when. I was around 11 and played uh, for a couple teams in the U.S., like Team Maryland's one of them. And then I ended up moving back to Toronto to play in the GTHL my last two years of minor hockey just because the hockey I felt was a little bit stronger and more visibility. But I do think I now reside in Maryland so I guess that's probably where they get it from. All right, that's fair. Now I know when it comes to passports for hockey you played for Canada internationally so far so moving forward are you Canadian and when it comes to hockey uh yeah the U17 I'm pretty sure doesn't count for international but I I would probably be U.S. now just because I I played uh the U.S. the last like so many years how did you get into hockey at a young age I know you said your dad works in the sport yeah my dad definitely had a big influence on that just giving me uh the opportunity to play and uh helping me all through the way like my parents are really big supporters so yeah definitely my uh, parents got me into hockey at a young age and obviously I stuck with it have you always been a forward or did you ever try other positions uh, when you were younger yeah I did play I play I played defense up until I was around 13 and I I played on a team it was the only O2 age group team and their coach was his name was Nolan Howe, and he was his he's the grandson of Gordy Howe. So uh, he actually moved me to forward after after a couple uh, seasons of him, of playing for him, and I ended up liking it a lot better. Is that an easy transition to make? 
Uh, I wouldn't say easy, but I feel like it's easier to make the transition from D to forward than forward to D just because I feel like you know more about the defensive uh, aspects of the game. Uh, I wonder if you, when you were really small, like uh, playing novice hockey or, or uh, really young like that, a lot of guys t- tell me they uh, might have had to take their turn in net. Maybe their their team didn't have a full-time goaltender or something, you know, when you're seven or eight years old. Yeah. Did you have one of those? Uh, yeah, I tried it out. My dad, I asked my dad about that a couple of times throughout the years, and he said that, um, yeah, it didn't do too well, like letting uh, far too many goals to be considered a goalie. <laughs> Oh, well, at least he gave it a try. Yeah. Now, I know uh, eventually, I'm guessing that you're uh, heading to college, and I see Ohio State as uh, your your college commitment. You did have the opportunity to play in the OHL as well. Uh, I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, which team had drafted you. I think it was the Niagara Ice Dogs. Yep. Uh, Was that an easy decision for you to make when you get to that fork in the road? Which direction do you want to go? Yeah, I ended up. When I played in the United States, a lot of the teams do like showcases at college rinks. So right. I kind of got to ski facilities like that. And then when I went back to the to play in Canada, a lot of the OHL teams would like take the minor hockey teams and show them around their rinks if we played there. Or, like obviously, a lot of guys like talk to scouts and stuff. And you see a couple of games being in Toronto, and everything's a little bit centralized there. And I think I just. For for reasons like uh, not getting picked in the draft, I think the college is a perfect route for me because even if you don't get picked in the draft, you still get four years of college paid for and everything. It's a good good. Obviously, you want to make to the to NHL, but I think that's a great pass for me specifically, strictly because I need extra years to maybe get my skating a lot faster than I would be for if I went to the OHL, which it'd have to be. It's more of a streamline to the NHL. And I think that 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 pass for me was a little bit more I need to develop at a slower rate than some of the other guys. Well, it's interesting. I was going to ask you about the draft and not being chosen your first go around. You're 19 years old right now for for people who don't realize coming into your your first draft year. There was some buzz about you. I mean, you're a big guy, big power forward. I, I'm assuming that's the, the role that you play. Um, and Central Scouting had you ranked 120, some in the 120s. Um, so certainly not out of the question that you were going to get drafted, but not getting drafted. What did that do to you from a mental state? Yeah, obviously uh, everyone's dream is to get drafted, and it was mine as well. Uh, definitely was a little bit tough to swallow. Um, it was hard at first, but I kind of just, you know, you can't let things define you. And I think that just uh, goes to show you that if there's a lot of guys that don't get drafted and make it to the NHL. And mm-hmm. I think that another reason why I took the college route is just maybe, maybe that happens. And I think it was tough to watch on draft day, but and it, it just, I think it made me a little bit more mentally tough and obviously uh, can't change anything and you can't control stuff like that. But I think that I'm just going to try and get better every day and, and not let it affect me. That was your first season in Dubuque, right? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, 38 points uh, in that year in 46 games. Certainly nothing wrong with that. And last year in a in a tough season with COVID and all that, uh, 48 points in 52 games. Well, now suddenly you've blown past that pace already with 21 points just in 13 games this year. Do you see yourself as a late bloomer? You talked about skating as something you needed to address. And maybe, I don't know, was that what held you back from, from being drafted, do you, do you think? Uh yeah, I can't say like if if a team were to draft me when I was when I was my first year, I think it would have been more of a project 
guy. Like yeah. I didn't have all the tools refined yet. And I think I'm just starting to scratch the surface with that now. And I think I, I think sometimes I have the, the stuff you can't teach and the stuff you can teach. I'm not as good at, I'm not, I'm not there yet. So I think skating definitely helped me this summer getting leaner. And then I think just, uh, having a little bit more confidence in myself this year. And obviously, again, it's great playing with guys like Kurth who are just easy to play with. And we both feel the game really similar. And I think that helps a lot too with just scoring and, and staying like confident. You mentioned getting leaner, and that's one of the differences in these two websites that I'm looking at too, the one that says you're from the States and the one that yeah. says you're from Canada. One says you're 6'4 and 234 pounds, and the USHL website says 6'4 and 210 uh, which is closer yeah. to being correct. Uh, yeah, they did the weigh-in at Central Scouting this year. At, I think it was in October or no, maybe it was uh, September. Right. So, yeah, I'm right around 210 right now. And I think that's the biggest thing I did this summer. I did boxing lessons, uh, not so much like skill-specific training in hockey, just like I worked with just a skills coach. But I, I did boxing and I and I worked out a lot during the summer. I did just so that it helped me on the ice more so with being leaner. So a conditioning thing, I guess. Uh, I, there are a lot of players yeah. your age who are like, okay, well, that, before I get to the next step or at the next step, I got to get bigger and stronger. For you, it's the opposite. Now, do you feel that difference yeah. on the ice? Do you feel quicker, more agile? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's helped a lot. Like I changed my diet a lot and stuff that I personally can't, like I don't eat bread anymore. So, right. And I stay from his gluten as much as I can so I think that just that that helps me maintain what I've what I've accomplished in the summer and I think that's that's probably the biggest thing is just coming in leaner and I think being quicker obviously you can do stuff on the ice to help that but I think off the ice losing 24 pounds definitely is less weight to carry on the ice now, whose guidance did you get for this because that's something I wouldn't expect a lot of players your age to just kind of figure out on their own so did, did you do you have um i don't know fitness coaching or something like that or a, a dietitian that helps you yeah my dad like i addressed it and i i totally like i thought that was the reason that it held me back a little bit last year and i only played a certain amount of minutes but i think that was because i wasn't conditioned and my coach was up front with me last year before he left and i think that was my goal going into the summer and i accomplished it and I think uh, my dad helped me a lot with setting up boxing lessons with a local guy in Maryland. And then on the ice, I I, try, I got on as much as I could. And I think off the ice, my trainer, Tyler, he's he's really good. And, and he fit me in in the morning so I could uh, do boxing in the afternoon. So I think that was the biggest thing. Stephen Halliday is my guest uh, from the Dubuque Fighting Saints, but soon to be from the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, uh, why was joining that program the right fit for you when you get to the collegiate level? I imagine you had options. Why'd you pick Ohio State? Yeah, I thought on my visit, I went this year to Ohio State. I thought the coaches were really up front. Um, I thought I was going to get opportunity there, and that's all you really can ask for is an opportunity. And I think that they have a great organization and getting guys to the next level and a lot of the guys on their team are in the same boat as me undrafted and they're looking to get a deal out of college and I think that Ohio State has the best I thought they had a great facility they, they have a great school there and I think that it just it all ended up being the right fit for me 
Now, Stephen, whether you're in Maryland or you spend a lot of time in Ontario, did you have a favorite NHL team growing up, or were you more following individual players in the league? Um, my dad's favorite team is the Leafs, obviously, being that he's from Toronto and he grew up there. Sure. And he's been a diehard Leafs fan for a long time, so I always would cheer against the team, any team that played the Leafs, just as like, <laughs> so if it was like the Coyotes or one game or it was the Rangers, I would cheer whatever team played the Leafs. Ah, I see. Okay, so you're just sticking it to your dad a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Rebellious uh, son. That's all right, too. Uh, are there players at the NHL level that you look to and, and say, well, if that guy can do it playing the style of game that he's playing, maybe, you know, a guy who's a similar size as you or something? Are there players that you look to and say, I that's a guy I should be following and trying to pattern my game after? Yeah, obviously there's guys that are like bigger, like Blake Wheeler's one guy who's like 6'5", and he's obviously had a great career. He's yeah. a great player. And um, that's a guy that I think is like similar to me. He actually played in the USHL too on Green Bay. Uh, just a similar like body style and how he plays. He's really good at passing. Obviously, obviously, he's a really good player. But um, maybe a guy like that. Or I always grew up when I was watching. I watched. I ended up watching Clayton Keller play at the program one game, and I thought he was really good. So I followed him all the way up, and I thought. And so that was cool to watch. He was always my favorite player as a kid. Now, your production this year, pretty much even between goals and assists, for the most part, uh, down the line in your his, in your background, you've been more of the setup guy than the shooter. Are, do you find like you're shooting more now? Is that a conscious thing that you're trying to do is add that to your game? Or do you still feel like more of the, 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 uh, the playmaker? Yeah, that's another thing that I wanted to do over the course of the summer is just maybe work on my shot placement and... I think I was getting shots last year. I just, I don't think I was shooting to score per, per like, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, I think uh, Bra- my coach Brown this uh, year has really harped on me practice and stuff just to bear down on every shot, whether it's a warm up drill or it's a two on two or it's a net front battle, just to make sure that I'm like bearing down on every shot I can take, which is, which is why I think he's a really good coach. He, He's always on everyone on things that they need to work on. And I think playing with pace is another thing that I needed to work on this year. And he's been really good with um, harping on me in practice to play with pace. So I think that that's just another thing that uh, that my coach has helped me with his scoring goals just because of how, how much he harps on me in practice. Lastly, Stephen, uh, with the draft this year, you are still draft eligible. I, I believe that there'll be more 19-year-olds taken this year than in any year previous. Is the draft something you still follow and care about? Or, as you said, you're going to go the college road anyway. You're going to be there for three or four years. Uh, not being drafted and being a, a, a free agent at the end of your college career, not a bad thing either. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, everyone's goal is to get drafted. And if that happens for me, I would be ecstatic and uh, I would be a dream come true but again I learned my first year that it's not and not everything's about the draft and you got to just make sure you keep getting better because if I'm the best player I can be after my college career then I think that I'll for sure get signed if I can be the best player I can be and I think that's all you really can work for that's all you really can work for work for and I think that um, I'm also following a couple of my buddies like he played on our team last year. His name was Matt Savoy, and he, he's doing really well in the, yeah. in the OHL. So I think it's cool to see guys like that who are, I'm pretty good friends with. I always drove him back from the rink and stuff. He's tearing it up, and I hope he goes first overall. 
Yeah, Matt Savoy was just on the show about three weeks ago. Um, well, Stephen, I really yeah. appreciate your time, man. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it and uh, wish you the best of luck the rest of the way this year. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That was Stephen Halliday from the Dubuque Fighting Saints in the United States Hockey League, a guy who didn't get drafted his first time around or his second time around, but uh, now three years with Dubuque. He actually played a year uh, previous with the uh, Flying Aces of Central Illinois, who no longer exist. But going to Ohio State now, and I, I think the fact that he, he pointed out it was his idea that he need, he recognized he was too heavy. Big guy, six foot four, playing, trying to play at 230, 235 pounds, just too sluggish. So he's dropped like 20, 25 pounds, and he can, he can feel it on the ice. And he's quicker, and that production is there this year. Now, a lot of people will say, all right, well, he's 19. As a 19-year-old, he should be putting up these numbers, maybe should have put up these kind of numbers last year. Is it a true indicator of what's to come? Uh, I look at it and say, this is a guy who saw a weakness in a, in a, or a flaw in his own game and did something to address it. That tells me something about character and professionalism and the coachability for a guy like that. So, uh, Stephen Halliday, uh, I think he should be on the uh, the radar for scouts going into the 2022 NHL draft. We'll see. If he doesn't get taken, man, this is a guy we could be talking about two, three years from now after his you know, sophomore or junior season with the Buckeyes as one of those key uh, potential UFAs, the free agents coming out of college. And uh, then you know, he'll be thinking, who cares about the draft, man? I got teams uh, lining up to get me. Another player for the 2022 NHL draft who has NHL teams lining up to get a look at him right now is Jordan Gustafson. He's a forward with the Seattle Thunderbirds out of the Western Hockey League. Let's get to know him next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Behind the goal line, looking in front for Kolasar. Bring it to the slot, to the legs, Barzell. Watson, back hand shot, and he will score! Hi, this is Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds, and you are listening to the Pipeline Show. Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15 with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The cream rise to the top. Oh yeah, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Final segment this week. It's going to be another a 2022 draft spotlight segment. But a reminder that the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Uh, if you're from these parts and you haven't tried it, I don't know what's wrong with you. And if you're uh, in Western Canada. Any order, any size, they will ship it to you, so absolutely no excuse uh, if you're out west here. And my next guest is from this area, may have tried some Wilhock beef jerky. I'll have to ask him. Uh, Jordan Gustafson of the Seattle Thunderbirds is my guest. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the program. How are you? 
I'm I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. It's a, a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. I know uh, the the uh, you and the T-Birds are playing some pretty good hockey right now. You're a co-leader in scoring on the on the club, and uh, the T-Birds one of probably three or four uh, clubs in the uh, WHL's Western Conference who have started to separate themselves from the pack. So everything seems to be going uh, right for you guys this year. How come? What's the secret to your success? Yeah, yeah, I think we have a uh, we have a good older core group and and we have a good uh some good younger players too and, and we're just coming to the rink every day and we're and we're grinding we're we all have the same work mentality and 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 it's, it's fun coming here we have we have a really good group of guys off the ice and and we all we all hang out away from the rink as well and i think i think that's the biggest part of it is just we all we, we all have a lot of fun with each other we're gelling really good and it's it's translating onto the ice so it's, it's definitely exciting to play I know coming off the the short season in the spring, I, I think it was hard for everybody to really predict what to expect this year. Is this what you expected? You know, at, when training camp finally got going here in, in September, is this the kind of season that you and the rest of the club expected from yourselves? Yeah, 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 I definitely think it is. Uh, our our management here has done a really good job of just re- rebuilding this team for the last couple of years. And uh, and and we have some uh, good younger players now. Uh that are that are growing up and and they're older in this league now so yeah I, th- I think this is exactly what we expected this is your first full season in the whl like you know 23 games you played every game that you could in the spring but this is the first big season uh for you what were your expectations of the league and how much has changed because i know up to this point you've pretty much only played against uh, other american division uh, rivals like like in the uh, in the spring uh, have you been able to get across the border yet? Uh, not yet, not yet. We we play our first game against uh, Kamloops on uh, this this upcoming Saturday, so that'll be the first game that we, that we play against against the BC uh, division, and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, but but yeah, it's it's been awesome. This league is is full of a lot of talented uh, players, a lot of a lot of hardworking, uh, bigger bigger bodies, obviously than than uh, midget hockey. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, I I I definitely expected it to be. Uh, a faster pace, uh, uh, more, more, uh, like systems and, and certain stuff like that. But, uh, it's, it's been awesome so far. I, I last year was, it was awesome to, to get those 23 games, even though it was a shortened season, uh, a lot of players didn't, didn't get the opportunity to, to play a season at all. So, uh, we were all really fortunate to, to, to play those 23 games and, and, uh, and this year's, uh, it's been good so far. So really happy here. How important for just for your development was that shortened season? Even though it was only 23 games, it's 23 games more than some guys played, like everybody in the OHL last year. So uh, this hot start that you're on on a personal level, how much of it is it? Do you think because you had that 23 game exposure to the league? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that was definitely huge. It's it's, it's really nice to just be able to go on the ice and and to and to practice with your team and just kind of get familiar with all the players and the management. Um, last year is my first year, so so I was coming in, uh, and I didn't really know a lot of the guys, and mm-hmm. and just to have that uh, short season, just to get to know everyone, it was it was awesome, and and, and it, it definitely helped me um, moving forward into into this year for sure. All right, well, big collision with Kamloops coming up this weekend. It's got to be great. Just you must be sick and tired of playing the same four teams over and over again. So to to get a taste of the BC division clubs, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be really nice to to play a couple of different teams. Jordan Gustafson is my guest. He's a forward with the Seattle Thunderbirds, 15 points in 14 games uh, to begin this season, eight goals, seven assists uh, along the way. 
Um, this part of the show, uh, Jordan, what we like to do is let our audience get to know somebody that's draft eligible, like you are, uh, for the 2022 draft. And there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who don't pay much attention. You know, Hey, you're an Edmonton area kid. You know the Oilers are by far the, the biggest draw here in Edmonton, and there are a lot of people who don't even know the Oil Kings exist. Um, so for the benefit of those NHL fans who don't watch junior hockey, uh, let's get a bit of background on you. Uh, you're from this neck of the woods, uh, our Drosh and Sherwood Park area. How old were you when when you first started playing hockey? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I think I first started playing hockey when I was when I was three years old. I, I was going out to the ODR with my with my grandpa. He he got me out there, and he uh, I I remember he I remember I, I always wanted to do do hockey drills, and uh, so so I told my grandpa make sure you bring out your whistle, and uh, and we go out in the ODR, and 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 he'd run me through some some drills on the ODR and and that was kind of my first uh, first experience with hockey and then and then I I think I started playing when I, when I was 5 uh in uh, in initiation so do you think the Seattle Thunderbird fans in that local area where you are now know what an ODR is outdoor rink uh, for those who don't know the uh, what the initials stand for I don't imagine there's a lot of ODRs in the, in Seattle yeah yeah no it's yeah yeah I don't think there's pretty much <laughs> any in, in Seattle it's, it's it's always uh yeah, you, you don't really get snow here, so it's yeah. definitely it's, it's definitely nice to live down here. No snow, but uh, I, I guess you don't get the ODRs. So. Your older brother Blake plays for the Red Deer Rebels. Uh, he's a defenseman, a couple years older than you are. Um, I have an older brother as well. So when I when I was a kid, I just wanted to tag along and follow and do whatever he was doing. Was that part of your introduction to to hockey as well? Is uh, trying to do you know follow along in Blake's footsteps? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, I. I, I'm sure my parents would tell you that uh, from uh, from a young age, when when I was going to watch his 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 games when he was uh, like seven years old, I I kept telling my parents I I, I just want to play hockey, I just want to play hockey, and I kind of forced my parents to put me in hockey a little bit earlier than than uh, most kids were, and uh, and and he's been awesome for me. He's like he's he's always there to to talk, and and he's a couple years older than me. He's been in the league. For a little bit longer than I have, so whenever, whenever I go through rough patches or or certain stuff isn't going my way, I I, I always call him up and uh, and he's always there to to tell me something and 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 uh, just kind of get my feeding back. So he's he's been awesome for me. He's always been there for me. Now he's a defenseman. You're a forward. Did you start out on the blue line and change along the way, or what was the story there? No, no. I've always I've always started. I've always played forward. I I kind of just wanted to. Put, put the puck in the net and and he was happy with playing a defensive game so we kind of just uh, worked off each other and I guess it, it kind of helped on the ODR I always had a deep I always had a demon to yeah to try to go around and 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 uh, he had a forward to try to play defense on so we so we had some good times battling each other out on the ODR now he's 6'3 and uh 200 ish pounds you're not uh 6'3 you're yeah. what 5'11 or so and uh, about 180 or something like that uh, do you yeah. think you're done growing or you know you look and he's six three do you think you can get up above six yeah 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 i definitely don't think i'm i'm done, I'm done growing yet i never really hit a major growth spurt and uh and yeah my my whole my whole family is tall my dad's six one and and my brother's uh six three like you said and right. and uh hopefully hopefully i i i can get the six six feet mark or, or so but uh yeah I, do, I definitely don't think i'm done growing i hope not at least I wouldn't mind growing. Another difference between the two of you, you've always been an offensive guy. He's got two goals this year. That's his first in the WHL in three seasons. So it's like he gets points. It's almost by accident. Uh, but you, you're more of the the natural offensive guy, would you say? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely having a really good, a really good year this year, filling the, fulfilling the net a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, he, I've, I've always been a little bit more offensive than him, and and uh, he's, he's always been there to, to tell me to work on my defensive game, though. And, and I guess that's kind of why I, I have, I value the 200 foot game so much, is just because he's been there telling me, telling me different tips, and uh, just, just basically telling me what the, what's going through the defensive. Uh, mind and certain stuff like that so so he he's he's helped my game a lot a, a lot on the de, on the defensive side and and, and i and i guess maybe i i might have given some tips this off season to for him to score a couple of goals now but uh <laughs> but he's yeah yeah he's definitely definitely yeah, he, he's having a really good year well one downer about uh, this season is even though everybody's back playing that's great uh, no crossover between the east and west conferences so you won't get to play against each other this year unless things go really well for both of you and you meet in the uh, the WHL final. Have you ever been able to play on the same team as kids growing up? Like, did you ever play a, a level up or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I played a level up when I was, was in my, my uh, novice first year, so that was, that was way back. But, yeah, yeah I, I haven't played with them forever. I, I would love to play with them, though. Play with them or against them? Yeah, totally. I, I'd love to play against them, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, take me back to draft day and what that experience was like for you. I know Blake was taken like tenth round, so you definitely got bragging rights there as the as the younger brother going in the first round, eighth overall to Seattle. So you didn't have to wait all that long. Were you at school uh, while the draft yeah. was unfolding, or were you at home following along? What was that day like for you? Yeah, yeah, I was at school, and it was a uh, it was pancake breakfast morning at our at our school that day. So <laughs> so our so our school started a little bit later. So all of me and all my buddies got got some pancakes and uh and I ended up going back to my to my mom's classroom she she taught me math all the way through high school and uh and I went back and and she, and she put it up on the whiteboard and, and we all just kind of watched my my name be called and 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 uh, my dad my dad came by and just gave me a big hug and and told me how proud he is of me and it was, it was really nice just to just to kind of share that experience with with my uh with all my friends and family and it was awesome. It's was, it was definitely something I, I'm not going to forget. Well, there's 22 teams in the league, so you know chances are pretty good that you're going to be moving away once you uh, start playing in the WHL. But did you have any feeling on you know leaving not just Alberta but leaving the country and playing in Seattle? What was that? You know your initial re- reaction to that? So a long way to go from home. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is a long way. But I, I think as soon as I saw my saw my name on the board, uh, I was just super excited. I I know uh, Seattle's has uh, we have such a great great uh, organization here and and uh, and that was just kind of going through my head. I was just super excited just to just to get in that system and 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 there's a lot of great players who have who have uh, moved on to the next level from this from this organization. So I was just I was just super pumped and uh, and yeah, I was pretty willing to to leave home for for a better opportunity and I, I was I was excited. It was it was, a, it was an awesome moment for my for my hockey career. Jordan Gustafson of the Seattle T-Birds, uh, the Thunderbirds, is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. For the benefit of uh, the people who haven't had a chance to watch you play and, and will need to know who you are and, and what you're like uh, as the draft gets a lot closer, how do you describe yourself to, to people? Uh, you know, What should they expect from you on a nightly basis? They can look at the stats and see, well, he's a point-per-game player, so I imagine the offense is there, but do the, do the numbers tell the whole story? How do you see yourself as a player? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm a player who... Uh... Who a uh, fast, fast player who who plays a 200 foot game. Uh, I think I take a lot of pride in all in all the little details all over the ice. I I uh, I, I kill penalties and I 
and I block and I block shots and and I I, I definitely take a lot a lot of pride in, in in playing hockey the right way and uh, I'm I'm someone who is reliable in all areas of the game whether whether we're trying to score a goal or or, or if we're trying to defend a lead I'm 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 your player to 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 just kind of get things done and and I'm always trying to win the hockey game. I would describe myself. One sheet I have says centerman. The other sheet just lists you as a forward. So are, are you playing in the middle, or do you find yourself on the wing? Yeah, yeah. This year I'm playing in the middle, but I've always I've always just bounced all over the place. I I, I kind of I, I can play wherever up front, and uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll play wherever my my uh, coaching staff wants to put me. So this year I'm playing center though. I uh, yeah, I think you're leading your team in power play goals five. Nobody else uh, even has three yet. So it seems like uh, you're pretty comfortable. Uh, when you your team has the man advantage, you're the guy that's uh, pulling the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think we have a pretty good we have a pretty good uh, a unit right now, and and we're moving the puck around really well. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's I, I guess I'm kind of there just to kind of finish the job. But uh, but but yeah, our, yeah, our whole unit's doing a really good job right now. Uh, who are your line mates uh, when you're playing five on five, or does that change uh, quite often? Uh, recently, I've been playing with Connor Roulette and uh, and Lucas Siona, and and uh, it's been it's been a really good line. I'm, I'm I'm definitely happy with with how we're doing, and and uh, yeah, every day we come to the rink and we and we grind grind it out. But uh, it it hasn't changed in too long. But uh, I'm pretty sure that'll be the same line moving forward. Well, two guys who have been drafted uh, in the past and uh, very recently, both of them in the 2021 draft. I don't know if that's a conversation you have with them, but uh, guys who have gone through this process and in the spotlight uh, fairly recently, I don't know if that's a conversation that players actually have or not though. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it definitely is. It's, it's definitely something that's always in the back of your mind. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I know, I, I know they're there for me if I, if I ever need to talk to them about, but about any uh, experiences that they had uh, going through the whole draft last year. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that, uh, players talk about it say so uh, now I know uh, a, a lot of uh, the players that I'll chat with uh, who are in the same situation that you are a lot of them will tell me they don't want to think about the draft because it could be a distraction other guys tell me they actively look to see you you know where Craig Button has you ranked and or central scouting has you ranked and they use that as motivation uh, what about for you Jordan do you how do you look at the draft yeah yeah I think it's uh yeah I think the draft has been something that I've thought about my my whole life and it's and it's been something that's that's uh, been there as a as as a possibility for me and and uh and uh, the closer I've gotten towards it uh, the more and more I try not to think about it like you said um I I, I find little ways just to just to not really think about it I I got off Twitter and uh, and, and most of my social media just so I didn't have to worry about it because there's there's always going to be ups and downs, and I and 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 I more so just try to focus on just focus on winning hockey games for our team every every night. So, uh, but it's, it's it's definitely something that's that's in the back of your head. Interesting, and uh, and, and and I think it should be. Oh, before you get to the next level, are there areas of your game that you're conscious that you need to improve on? Yeah, yeah, I think I need to just just become stronger, stronger on my feet, and uh, it'd be nice to it'd be nice to grow a little bit, but. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm really focusing on just becoming stronger. I'm working on my on my shot every day, and just kind of just kind of working on my my overall uh, 200 foot game, and, and making sure all those details are are uh, are uh, staying staying consistent, and 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 working on different details like that. 
Now, you're an Edmonton area guy. I don't want to assume that the Oilers were your team growing up because for most of your life, the Oilers were terrible. Uh, they're, they happen to be pretty good right now. But uh, who was your club growing up? Yeah, 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 it's Edmonton. I've been I've been pretty loyal to the Oil all, <laughs> all, all the way through, and uh, and yeah, they're definitely they're definitely my team. It's pretty pretty exciting watching them right now for sure. Long suffering fan. Anybody with the Oilers or elsewhere in the NHL that you, you kind of gravitate to as a fan, that, where you look and you say, you know what, I'm a player. He's a player. He's about my size uh, and uh, sim- similar skill set. I have to pattern my game after a guy like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I've always been a fan of McDavid, but I. I wouldn't really compare myself yeah. to him because I, I, I don't really think anyone can compare themselves to McDavid. But uh, I've I've been a fan of his uh, ever since he's been drafted to Edmonton, and uh, he's 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 amazing. He's awesome to watch, and it's, it's so thrilling just to watch him and him and Drysdale just move the puck around. So I'd say I'd say I'm a big fan of McDavid. All right. See, I was thinking you were going to say like Matt Barzal or something like that. Warm up to the Seattle fans that are listening to this. And, you know, is it a, a former T-Bird? Uh, but no, you go for the best guy on the planet. Well, no pressure there, man. <laughs> well, Jordan, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck to the rest of the way this year. And uh, who knows, maybe you and the Rebels will uh, get to meet and you and uh, you and Blake can uh, go head to head on the ice. That would be great. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All right, that was Jordan Gustafson of the Seattle Thunderbirds, who's uh, one of the better-ranked or higher-ranked forwards out of the WHL for the 2022 NHL draft. Local area kid, but uh, don't get to see him here, uh, as the Seattle Thunderbirds obviously didn't come here in the uh, shortened spring season. Don't come here this year either, uh, which is tough, I'm sure, for his family. And be great to see uh, the Rebels and the Seattle Thunderbirds in action. Be great for Gustafson's uh, family uh, as they can watch uh, both their sons uh, playing. That would be a lot of fun. And with that, that is the end of this week's episode. Thanks to all four of the guests that you heard from. Reminder, if you haven't got your bidet yet from hellotushy.com slash pipeline, you can get a quick, easy 10% off by just using that URL to place your order. And you probably have enough time to get it before Christmas. Fellas, the significant other in your life would really appreciate it, I know. And ladies, I can guarantee you that the uh, the other person in your life uh, would love it as well. So satisfy your Christmas shopping. Get them a present they don't even know that they want. It's a bidet from hellotushy.com slash pipeline. It's better for you. It's better for the environment. It's time to stop wiping and start washing your butt. You'll thank me for it. Next week on the Pipeline Show, more of the same. We'll keep, in, we'll keep tabs on the situation that that flammable situation in the USHL with the Omaha Lancers. And we'll check in across the Canadian Hockey League as well. And uh, we did not talk any uh, North American Hockey League or CJHL this week, so we might do that next week as well. But always the 2022 draft in focus. Lots we can cover each week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, everybody, get out and watch some junior college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week here on the program. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. My name is Keith Flaming. Till next week, everybody. See ya.